This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. In this panel discussion entitled The Courage to Quit, freelance information architects Sarah Rice, Whitney Hess, Jen Anderson, and Christopher Fahey argue that information architects have an opportunity to structure and evolve their own work environment. There is potential to influence where they work, who they work with, the type of work they do, and who they do the work for. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Uh, My name is Sarah Rice, and I'm the moderator for the panel. I'm also the instigator. Uh, a few months ago when they put out a call for proposals or a call for submissions for the summit, I was in the middle of trying to figure out uh, you know, what I wanted to be doing next. I do that uh, every few years. I've been a consultant since 1995. Uh, when I started out, I would, I would say the years. I've been a consultant for five years or six years, whatever, but it keeps changing every year, so I just use the word 1995 and let you guys do the math. So. Um, and, and periodically, uh, as the industry changes, as technology changes, and as my life changes, I'll kind of, um, you know, poke my head up above the clouds and kind of go, what do I need to be doing next? You know, how should I take my business? What, you know, do I need to keep doing what I'm doing? Do I need to possibly take on partners? Should I quit what I'm doing and um, go get a nine-to-five job uh, working for somebody else? Um, and actually, this time I was, I was contemplating... Do I, do I want to take on partners and what does that mean? And it sounded like a great idea until a friend of mine said, you know, you might want to go talk to other people who have been in partnerships or have partners and just ask them how it's been going. And that was really great advice because that um, led me to talk to a bunch of people, which led me to, um, you know, kind of talk to some of these folks and put the panel together and, um, you know, share with you what I've learned and also continue to learn more as, as these folks talk. So... That's kind of why I'm, I'm here today. And just to let you know a little bit about how I got started, I, um, I was in school from 1993 to 1995 getting my master's in library science. And uh, somebody who ran an agency um, saw my work and said, hey, we really want you to come work with us. Um, and that was way back when com- most companies didn't really have websites and, but needed them and there was a lot of need for creating them. And I was like, great, I'd love to work with you. And he said, oh, by the way, we don't really have any employees. We only work with consultants. And so I'm like, okay, I'm a consultant. Voila. Um, <clears throat> and as I was preparing for this panel, I, I realized that it, there was a little more to it than the wave of the magic wand and poof, I'm the consultant. Um, as I was uh, in school, well, being in school for two years really set me up for um, you know, having a lot of work versus a little of work and kind of watching that ebb and flow of, of, of workload <clears throat> come into my life. Working all hours, uh, working in the evenings, working on the weekends, um, you know, just kind of doing whatever it took to meet that deadline. Um, and also, as I was working my way through school, I, I had a job, well, I, I worked for a, um, a think tank in Menlo Park and I was gathering research data for them. and. And when, I, when they approached me to, to do that work, they said, great, we, we really want to work with you. You have exactly the skills that we want, but oh, by the way, we don't really want to hire you on as an employee. And we want to do this thing called contracting where you pay all your own taxes. And I was like, you know, whatever. And they kind of helped me set up my own taxes and stuff. And so knowing how to do my own taxes, having like a non-traditional set of work hours and whatnot really set me up for for the life that I have now as a consultant. Um, And and it's not like I made the decision once and then have kind of kept with it all these years. Uh, every 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 so often things you know tend to get slow because there's the you know the feast and the famine part of doing the work that I do. I'm extremely busy and then I'm not busy, and then I'm really really busy again and then I'm not busy. Um, and you know and that's just kind of the nature of what I do because I I um, I'm a company of one. It's me, 
and me and me. And uh, I sometimes uh, work directly with the client or I will work um, in conjunction with another consulting agency and be part of their team. Um, and, you know, or, uh, well, you know, I have different ways of structuring things, but it's basically, you know, my company is me, basically. Um, which means that I get the work, I do the work, I manage the client, I do the printouts, I, you know, do the strategy, um, I, I do a lot of it, and um, there's a lot to it that I really, really like. I, you know, I, I enjoy having the freedom to have my own schedule and keep my own schedule. That's important to me now because I have um, two kids. Um, I am the primary breadwinner um, in, in my family, and, um, and so I, it's, I'm, I'm highly motivated to work highly motivated to work and I also really enjoy uh, that I have say over the work that I do and how I do it. Um, I'm very invested in how my business goes and so um, and, and I get to have a say in in what I do next um, and I, I like that a lot. I've, I've actually I've, I've spent time um, being an employee, I've done contracting and I've done consulting and I, I like consulting the most because I get to have a say in uh, how the project goes, how my business goes, how I structure my time, you know, so a lot of freedom and independence, but with that freedom and independence comes, you know, a huge amount of risk. Um, so I, um, but I, you know, I, I, I kind of, I have found that it, it really works. When, when people approach me and say, you know, we really like your work, we want you to come work with us in our company and be an employee, and I, I think about it, and I think, you know, I'll, I'll have to commute. It'll take time away from my family. Um, there's, you know, there's me, and then there's all these other people, and then the dude at the top who makes all the decisions. And I'm like, you know, do I have that person's ear? Um, and I'm more likely to have that person's ear as a consultant for whatever reason than than uh, when I'm an employee, and I, I like that. Um, but you know, there there really is the feast and famine aspect of things, and you know, when the economy goes south, there's always the risk that. You know, tomorrow I could not work, um, but I've been doing it for 15 years, and I and I really like it. So, um, so so that's my very short story. I wanted to um, inter, uh, introduce to you the other people. Oops, the other people that will be um, talking about their experience. Um, we have Whitney Hess. I met her at last year's summit, um, and. Uh, at that time, she was still working for someone else and was talking about going out on her own. And um, and I told her what my experience was, and um, and you know I really I really enjoy what I do. I, I have a passion for it, and I love it. And so you know, uh, was telling her all about it and giving her a lot of encouragement. And it's been it's been wonderful, kind of watching her through her blogs and tweets and whatnot, um, kind of make that leap and go out on her own and and see how it's gone. So we'll be hearing from her about what her experience is. And then we have Jen Anderson here. I met Jen when uh, I was doing some work with eBay, and um, she was an employee there uh, for a while. She's recently gone out on her own, and she'll be telling us more about that and what it's like. Um, and the thing I know about Jen is that I, I heard about her before I met her and heard all sorts of wonderful things about how smart she is and um, what wonderful projects she's working on and really making a difference in the company. And, um, so, and I've, I've, it's been a pleasure to, to know her and, and to um, be able to do this panel with her. And then Chris Fahey over here, I, um, I, I have seen him around at summits um, and I, I really wanted to get in contact with him after I heard a podcast where he was interviewed uh, on Boxes and Arrows by um, Christina Wodke, where he was talking about what it was like to work with other partners um, and develop his own, um, his own uh, agency, basically, and and I was really interested in hearing what his experience was, uh, having partners, and what his experience is, you know, um, hiring people, employees, and kind of running the whole the whole business. So he's going to give you that perspective. And I also just wanted to let you know that um, you know that's we're up here to share our experience, but that doesn't mean that you know we we are on the podium and know everything. Um, and so. After we've had a chance to talk for about 10 or 15 minutes each, uh, we're going to open it up. Uh, this microphone works um, so we can pass it around and please feel free to ask whatever questions that you have um, or provide your own experience of you know, working for yourself. Um, and, uh, and with that, I will turn it over to Whitney.
everyone. <laughs> so I am Whitney Hess and I'm the freshman on the panel. As Sarah mentioned, I recently went out on my own. Um, I am, I call myself a user experience designer and I'm based in New York City. Um, I quit my full-time job in August, so it's I think seven months today. And I had been full-time for four years leading up to that after I graduated college. Um, I chose to quit for a lot of reasons. And I guess when I tried to think about what the real reasons were, obviously there are frustrations and there's independence and those are all wonderful you know, reasons to quit your job. But when I really thought about it, I realized that it was about three things, control, variety, and fit. So I just didn't feel like I had control over my career. I wasn't going where I wanted to go. I felt like I was trying to fit a job description that didn't necessarily match my skills. Um, and I also didn't feel like I fit into the corporate environment at all. I was raised by two entrepreneurs. I didn't know how to navigate the corporate environment. I never was interested in the politics game. Um, I didn't know what it took to get myself promoted. And it didn't feel like doing great work was what it took. I wanted to do great work. I wanted to work on a variety of projects, not just the one thing that my manager assigned me to. And I wanted to have a really wide impact, and I didn't feel like that was happening. So I just decided that I was going to take my destiny into my own hands, and I was going to quit my job. So how this started was um, in August of 2005. Now, I only quit my job last year, but in August of 2005, I already had the itch. I had been working full-time for only eight months. I was at a big agency with a lot of people, a lot of interaction designers, and I was one of them. And I wasn't feeling challenged, and I didn't feel like the education that I had was being put to good use. I was being asked to do a specific job, and I was doing that job, but there were all these other things that I wanted to do, and I also wanted extra money. So I started freelancing on the side. And you know, it started with friends and family and whatnot, and over time, I built this client base, and it was three years, not no time. I was doing very tactical stuff at first. I was basically a contractor where I was being asked to churn out side maps and wireframes for small businesses and really just um, supplementing people's existing teams or doing really rinky-dink websites that I wasn't even supposed to be doing, doing visual design when I don't have those skills at all. But I was making contacts. and. As Sarah mentioned, I started to think about what was next, and um, at the IA Summit last year, kind of reality was setting in, and I admitted to myself that I wasn't happy in my job, even though I really enjoyed the company a lot and I had a good relationship with my manager. And I started meeting people like Sarah and Kaleem and other individuals who were independent consultants but also who were starting their own businesses or in the midst of running their own businesses. And I asked a lot of questions. And I recognized that I had very little perspective on what it would really be like. I had this idealized sense of what being my own boss would be like. And I knew what it, was, what it took to run a company from watching my parents do it my whole life. But I didn't really know in this field explicitly what that would take. And so I asked a lot of questions and I took stock of it and I just really tried to immerse myself in what this world would be like. And then more tactically, I just started gathering deliverables. I thought, if I do this, I have to look professional. This crap that I've been putting on the side isn't gonna you know, hold any water if I'm doing this full time. I have to present myself as a company. So I used my network and I asked people for not only you know, their wireframe and sitemap templates, but also for contracts and proposal pitch decks whatever I could get my hands on, just to get a sense of how other individuals, both independents and agencies, were presenting themselves to their clients and prospective clients. And then most importantly, I created a reserve fund. So I am not married, I'm young, I live alone, my parents don't support me financially, 
basically I realized if I'm gonna do this, it's entirely possible that I'm gonna fail. And if I quit my job, I might not get another job so quickly. So um, basically I realized I have to have money in the bank. And so this freelancing on the side enabled me to put money away so that I would have, for me, I wanted at least three months of all expenses, you know, rent, utilities, whatever, so that I could be sure that if after two months I was getting no work and bringing in no money, then I would start looking for a job, but at least I would have some money to get me through it. So basically, once I had all this stuff set up, now I had to figure out how am I going to create success. So over the past seven months, I found that I have about, I'm keeping about three or four clients at a time. And they're all at different points in the project. So it's not like I'm doing user research at this, for two clients at the same time because I can't possibly spend that much time. It's a very intensive process. But one project will be finishing up while another one's starting. But at least I have that overlap. I didn't want to concentrate on one client and then the money did not come in and then maybe stuck. So some of my projects are two weeks long. Others are up to four months long. There are projects that um, I've been working on or th at least thinking about since I started this. And I've been lucky to work with a whole slew of different types of companies. I did, um, I redesigned the intranet, the employee portal for Hearst Inc. I've been working with lots of startups because I'm in New York and there's a great startup culture and one of those startups is Boxy that I'm doing a lot of work with. And I've also been consulting with agencies like Happy Cobb where they have their own client base and they bring me on board when they need a user experience designer on a specific project and they're managing the client but I get to be involved in the great work. Um, and then five to ten hours a week I just kind of pull that out of a hat because I feel like I spend a good chunk of my time on business development so to speak. So getting my name out there, ensuring that I have a lot of clients in the pipeline, just um, you know, getting to events and making sure that I'm running a successful business because I realize that it isn't just me and here I am doing fun work and having a great time now that I'm independent, but I want to sustain myself so I'm always looking towards the future and I spend a good chunk of my time doing that. And then lastly, um, some advice that I got from one of my mentors, Jared School, when I set out on this journey was that consulting is not consulting if you do it in a vacuum, that you actually have to supplement that with speaking, writing, teaching, and basically putting yourself out there in other ways and forcing yourself to grow and being a part of the community. And so that's part of why I'm here right now. I, this is my first time speaking at the IA Summit. It was my first time here last year. Um, I'm trying to get myself out there as much as possible and contribute to the body of knowledge that's out there for this field and just engross myself in it as much as possible to essentially support my consulting business. So it's not all fun and games by any means, and I knew that going into it, but um, despite all of the great lessons that I heard, I don't think I even fully understood how hard it would be. It's the greatest pleasure, and it's definitely the best choice that I have made in my life, not just in my career. But there are some major challenges, and some of them, I mean, I couldn't possibly list them all here, but the major ones, Definitely pricing structures, figuring out how I was going to charge for projects, when I was going to get paid, am I going to have an hourly rate, am I going to have a daily rate, am I going to have a project rate, am I going to ask for half up front and half upon delivery. I mean, I have tried everything, and yes, it's only been seven months, but I've been lucky to have a bunch of clients in that time and trying out a bunch of things. Lately, I've been, been lucky enough to get away with charging in full up front so that I don't even have to deal with the possibility of a client not coming through with the money. So once the project starts, the money is no longer even you know, something worth discussing or worrying about, and I just get to concentrate on the project and make the greatest impact that I can make and really have fun with it. Not all 
clients are capable of doing that or willing to do that, and so I'm going to have to be flexible. But figuring that out has definitely been a part of it, and I'm sure that it's going to continue to be um, as I grow. Basically, I wanted to get away from an hourly rate because you can only charge so much without people's eyeballs popping out of their head, and there's only 24 hours in the day, and there's only one person, me. So if I'm not at a place where I'm willing to hire employees where I'm not and I can't find people to share the work with or I really want to take on the project, in order to grow and in order to move up, I can't just keep charging the same hourly rate and I can't keep charging more expensive hourly rates. So I started to think about what it would be like to have these project rates and still figuring that out. Um, there's no design crits so to speak. You know, when I was in-house, every time I created a deliverable, my manager would look at it, he'd give me feedback, then I would have time to revise it, and then I would present it to the stakeholders in the company. Or when I was working for interactive agencies, it was the same thing. I never went in front of a client before someone else who was more seasoned than me took a look at my work, gave me feedback on it, and gave me the opportunity to make revisions. I don't have that anymore. I mean, I suppose I could be reaching out to friends of mine and random people in the community and begging them to look at my work, but that isn't exactly time, timely or realistic. I mean, I'm often doing things at the last minute anyway. So um, it's hard. It's hard to not have those mentors directly there, and you really have to seek it out in other ways, which is why I go to as many conferences as I do, why I go you know, attend all these different webinars and go to events. I'm constantly looking for people in my environment to provide me with that inspiration that I'm no longer getting on a daily basis. Um, and I have to be strategic about what's next. It's only been seven months, but I'm already thinking about how I can possibly grow this and sustain this over the long haul. It's something I feel very passionately about and I want this to be a success. So even sitting on this panel, honestly, is an opportunity for me to think about the possibilities for moving forward and be more strategic about the projects that I take on in order to get to where I want to go. Um, not having a routine is a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. I had this whole list um, that I kept on my phone every time I had a thought. It was kind of like the rallying cry as I was getting ready to quit my job. When I'm a freelancer was the name of this note, and I would add these one-liners to it every time they popped into my head. When I'm a freelancer, I can work from the park. When I'm a freelancer, I can sleep until noon. When I'm a freelancer, I can, you know, go shopping in the middle of the day. I can play Guitar Hero anytime. I mean, I had all these ideas of what I thought my flexibility was going to be and how much I was going to love that unstructured time. And in a way, I do, because I found that I am most productive at night, and I have the opportunity now to work at night. But it's really hard not having a time when you're supposed to be somewhere, managing your own schedule completely independently of anyone else. And not having that routine means, means that I wake up at a different time every day, and I go to bed at a different time every day. And it's easy to get haggard. So. That's still something that I'm working on, trying to put that routine into my life so that I can go about my day with some regularity and kind of know a week out what it's going to look like. Because right now, every day is a completely new day for me. And on the one hand, I love it. But on the other hand, it's a lot to deal with. And then lastly, um, anxiety. <laughs> There's a lot of anxiety, and I have anxiety just standing in front of you guys talking to you, even though I see a lot of familiar faces and friendly faces in the audience. But uh, not having a company name, not being a part of something, not being able to take a day off and know that someone else is going to get the work done, or that my manager has my back, or that people aren't going to let me fail because ultimately it would mean their failure. Uh, that's really hard. You know, you don't have a safety net. You are completely on your own and you have to trust yourself and you have to find the confidence whether or not you have it. You've got to project it and you have to make a lot of decisions. And I knew that going into it, but I didn't know how much it would affect me and how much I would carry it with me every day. 
And when I wake up in the morning, I say I'm the happiest person in the world because I feel like I have total control of my life and I'm doing what I love. But I, the next thought is, oh my God, you're crazy. I can't believe I'm doing this. I have so much that I have left to kind of contribute, perhaps, but I still feel like every day I'm going to be found out as a phony. And that's a reality. I think we all have that, but you are very exposed when you're independent. So um, you got to just push it down to the bottom and ignore it and get up and do things like this and just share what you have to give. And that's the only advice that I can give you. But it's real. It's there. All those challenges, they're not going away anytime soon. But I feel like I'm doing the right thing for me and I feel like I'm making a greater impact and I'm affecting those people around me. So I think it was the right decision. So I think there's a lot of different ways to define success. And as you can see from our panel, um, you guys have all sort of made it work and defined success for yourself. And what I'm going to share with you is how I have found fulfillment and what I think is success that's worked for, for me and my life and most importantly for my family. So I'm going to share a lot of personal anecdotes with you. And the name of my talk is called Zigzagging from Audi to Indian Back. And I've done this literally and figuratively. I've moved back and forth from New York to San Francisco to New York and back again. Um, I've been in the business for over 20 years. And interestingly enough, this is my first IA Summit. So. <laughs> I <laughs> uh, went to school at Carnegie Mellon, and then for the past 20 years, I've worked as a consultant either on my own as an individual or with other consultancies. And I don't really make a distinction um, in terms of being consultant, working for yourself and for a larger company. I think that in a larger company, you just have more people around you, more people to support you. But I think the skills transcend, and um, I think at the end of the day, consulting is consulting. Um, most of my early work was done in developing brands and corporate identity. And then when the web exploded in the mid-90s, I worked on translating those brands to online digital experiences, first as an interaction designer and an information architect, and then I evolved into leading interaction or uh, experience teams. And now what I'm doing is a lot of user research for my clients because I feel that um, if you want to become a user-centered company, uh, user research is critical um, in understanding who your users are to design more effective uh, design solutions. And it's something I really love to do. So that's, I'm doing a lot of that right now. So what I thought I'd share with you is some assumptions I had about becoming an innie. An innie meaning going inside and working at a company as opposed to an Audi, which is going outside and working on my own. And my 12-year-old daughter, she teased me. She said, Mom, you know, for your Audi slides, you should put a picture of Heidi Klum from Project Runway. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I might be the only fan of Project Runway here. Any other fans? Project Runway? Okay, <laughs> I should have put Heidi on there. <laughs> uh, so I had some assumptions about going into eBay. We all know how difficult it is to drive consensus as a consultant. Um, and I thought, oh, it's going to be easier to drive consensus. I have a seat at the table. I'm part of the team. Well, the reality is when you're working in a company of 15,000 people, it's very difficult to drive consensus, especially with large initiatives that require multiple stakeholder buy-in across the organization. It's really, really hard. And oftentimes, I've hired consultants, I've hired Adaptive Path, I've hired Dan Brown um, to help me drive uh, that consensus. And at eBay, in order to get a consultant hired, you had to have the signature of a VP. So by the time you got the VP's attention, that guy or gal had a vested interest in this consultant. So oftentimes, the consultant has the ear of the higher-ups. I thought I'd be able to pick and choose my projects. And I actually did get to work on some great projects at eBay. eBay and, uh, but I saw that a lot of people who wanted to work on these innovation initiatives or strategic initiatives didn't have the opportunity to do that and oftentimes they felt snubbed. I think the executives wanted um, people who working, were working on the day-to-day -day projects to keep their nose to the grindstone. Um, and so those people felt left out. Also, working for such a large company, the velocity of projects were coming, coming in was such that you couldn't keep your finger on all of it. So sometimes you got on good projects, sometimes not so good. 
I thought I'd be able to control the direction of the product. Um, and while I, I was very fortunate, I worked on a team of 30 people on our user, uh, user experience team, we made incredible inroads in driving business success. You know, eBay is a very business-focused organization as opposed to Google, which is very technology-driven. Um, our team did a lot in terms of building a, a, a real culture of design and design thinking. Um, but at the end of the day, I felt that it was really the product managers and the executives who were driving the direction of the product. Um, when I had the opportunity to leave uh, eBay, I, did, I decided to do that in August. And I did that mostly for personal reasons. I, I have two kids. I wanted to spend more time with my family. And I thought I had some assumptions leaving. I thought, well, I, would, I was going to be less connected. Because the first time I had been out on my own, didn't have LinkedIn, didn't have Facebook, didn't have Twitter. So it was really easy to get very isolated. Well, the reality here was that I was more, more connected than ever. I had made some great uh, relationships at eBay. And um, I was able to then work with a lot of those people because they had either been laid off from the company or they had decided to form their own consultancies. And I noticed a trend happening, which is virtual teams coming together and working on projects. None of us had offices together. We had our own individual home offices, or some people rented space, but um, a, a big trend forming, which is companies coming together. And actual ta tangible user experience is one of those teams. Anyone here from Tangible? They've been around. OK. I thought I would be able to control my own time. And that is true. I can, if I decide I want to week. Uh, work 20 hours a week or 30 hours a week because I'm helping my daughter with her play or something. I can do that, but I don't have my boss saying, Jen, remember, you said you're only going to work 20 hours, 30 hours a week. I have to provide that discipline myself. So you have to be super disciplined. And then I thought um, things would be much more frenetic on the outside, and that is definitely true. I spend a lot of my time running around doing little things, doing printouts, um, invoicing, uh, a lot of sort of grunt, kind of grunt work that I don't feel like doing that I had the support of uh, inside at eBay to do for me. So going back, there's a lot of great things about becoming an innie, going to work for a product company. First of all, deep, deep domain knowledge. I had the opportunity to work with some of the biggest minds in search. Um, I did all the user research for eBay Motors when they launched a couple years ago, and I got to work with some great thought leaders in online automotive. So that was a great experience. The camaraderie of peers, nothing can compare to that. I mean, working, being able to work with people who are thinking through the same issues you are, being able to grab them, have lunch, that is a great thing. Thought leadership, as I said, I got to work with some of the biggest minds in search and user experience. Um, we built a very strong culture of design at eBay, and we had a lot of support in doing that. And of course, the support staff. Um, we had a lot of help. You know, I got to work with junior designers. We had administrative assistants. And again, that's all stuff that I have to do myself. And you know, even more important than conference dollars is the benefits. I can't underestimate the benefits of 401k, stock, education that you get, um, just being around your peers, uh, and, um, and educational stipend, and, and conference dollars. Uh, but the benefits, the health benefits itself are, are, are major. I am very fortunate. I work for a public servant. He has great benefits, so I have that as a fallback. Um, and then in terms of the stock, I mean, let's face it, when you're a freelancer, you're not making money when you sleep. So it's all off the sweat of your back. <laughs> Networking opportunities are, have been wonderful. Uh, working at eBay for three years, I developed some deep, trusted relationships. And as I said, now that I've left, I'm working with a lot of those people. So it's almost like I've never really left. We're working on projects together. A lot of great things about becoming an Audi. Something that gives me great fulfillment is getting the project, touching it, and delivering it. There is nothing like, you know, it, it's just so fulfilling to be able to go out, sell the project, craft it yourself, and then deliver it to the client. The autonomy, I get to do the kinds of work that I want to do when I want to do it. 
And then something I call exercising my nimbleness. I am constantly using the left and right sides of my brain all the time. I'm, um, I'm going out and getting the work, I'm proposing, I'm doing a lot of writing, um, presenting, putting things together, designing it, and, um, and then delivering it. So you're working all your different competencies. And for people who like to do that, I think this is a great opportunity. And then the variety of work. At any time I could be running a research study, or I'm, right now I'm helping a startup um, build a brand, and, uh, and also leading a design team. So variety all the time. So what does it take to become an Audi? For me, I think it takes an incredible amount of flexibility. I think you need to um, be very flexible, be willing to do a lot of different things to sustain the work. Willingness to be part of a client's team. Oftentimes I'm asked to be an individual contributor. I, like Sarah, I, I, I'm it. I'm, I do it all. And sometimes teams will say, we want you to come sit with our team for three months and be our user researcher or be our interaction designer. And so I think that if you like to work in solitude, um, this kind of situation might not work for you. So I'm very rarely at home. I'm actually at the client side a lot, being part of their team. And I think um, what's most important is something I've learned in the past few years is the courage to step away when it's time and to recognize and help the client step up and own the work when it's time. Um, a lot of times I'm asked to develop uh, UX tools that will help an in internal UX team within a product organization become successful. Things like personas and mental models. Those are the, those are the tools that uh, UX teams use to drive success within an organization. And I'm asked to do that. And at some point, um, you just have to recognize when that work is done and when you have to say, hey team, step up. You, ha you guys have to run with this. Sure, it would be easy to stay, um, you know, I'd be able to make more money, but um, I think the, the most important thing is to recognize that it's not about me. And I think when I realize more that it's about the client's success and not my own success, then I find more success in the end. So, um, Eric, I appreciate what you said yesterday, and I think um, I agree with a lot of that. And that's it. So if you are a consultant, or if you're an any considering going out to be a consultant, I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Um, so I'm the uh, sort of um, the big side of this equation. Uh, my name's Chris Fahey, and I have a blog at graphpaper.com, and I'm a founding partner at Behavior Design. Uh, we're a New York City web design uh, consulting firm. Uh, started in 2001 between me and four other partners, so that's what makes me kind of different than the uh, rest of the gang here. Um, well, I'm, I'm an information architect in my background. Um, I've done game design, interactive artworks, but, and project management too, so I've kind of come from a lot of different places. Uh, before I started the company. And uh, I just want to, um, so I'm representing the kind of big end of this. I'm just curious as to, is any, does anyone out here like manage multiple people uh, or own a company with multiple people where you have like five, 10, 15 people there? And a few people, okay. Um, it's, it's an interesting uh, situation. My, my company is uh, 17 people right now. Uh, again, I, and I have uh, three partners now. We used to have four partners. Um, and most of our clients are in the media, publishing, entertainment business. Uh, but we, we didn't start out uh, quite this way. We started out at uh, Rare Medium. Let's cut back 1999, 10 years ago. Um, my partners and I are uh, moving into a new office. We have 25, I used to have 25 co-workers. It turned into 1,000 people. Uh, it was, uh, the stock price jumped up like 5,000%. Everything was going crazy. And then, the, of course, 2001 happened and the office emptied out. Uh, my partners and I were like the last 15 employees or so out of at the whole company. Um, it was, and we kind of saw the writing on the walls. We had a big empty office, uh, clients that uh, were not getting serviced anymore and were pretty much gonna fire Rare Medium and it was gonna go down the drain. So my partners and I actually, in the company, started to plan ahead for the next phase. We started to uh, decide that we needed to uh, continue working with our clients, continue working together, 
uh, we're kind of forced into it. So when we say the courage to quit, it actually, we didn't really quit. We kind of got forced into it. And then finally, when 9-11 happened, uh, we all IM'd each other and we're like, I guess this is it. I guess we have to do it because we knew that was the end of Rare Medium as well. Um, so we effectively quit that day and within a month or so we were on our own. Um, what's great about working at a big agency or at any kind of big company is that it's really, it is your business school. We had no idea what we were doing uh, before we started uh, the company. But in a way, we actually did because we were surrounded by all of the mechanisms that our business was going to be made up of. We were secretly training, basically, uh, uh, in the background. Um, we were observing our clients from other disciplines, watching them uh, in you know, business development and uh, technology and such. Uh, we were networking with people. The people that we work with, the people that you work with, especially if at a big company, as, uh, as, as Jen was just saying, they're your future clients. They're your future referrals. They are uh, contractors and employees for you in the future. Um, so you know, make sure you uh, uh, are nice to your colleagues if you're planning to do this. Don't steal them. Uh, yeah, don't. Well, I see. I, 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 I did. Yeah, no poaching. I had a different situation because the company disappeared. So, so um, that's that's a good point. Um, also, participate in stuff that you wouldn't normally participate in. Uh, you know, was, I think all of us were kind of uh, upwardly mobile in some way. So we all became managers. We all got to go in business development pitches. But I think we had to make an effort to do that, and we're lucky we did because that became useful later. And finally, um, as uh, Whitney was sort of alluding to, you, you want to get documents. You want to start collecting examples. Um, again, I'm not encouraging you to steal, um, but uh, you know, you're exposed to a lot of things that are going to come in hand handy later. Uh, contracts, uh, SOWs, um, proposals, just look at all of the elements of proposal. A lot of times uh, UX designers, they're just writing the two pages in the middle of the proposal about the UX design. They're not doing the technology, they're not, you know, they're not doing the visual design. Look at the whole thing because someday you may be responsible for all of that. Um, and, uh, and, and, it's, and I think this has been happening forever. I think that sort of uh, the documents at Rare Medium were probably like uh, sort of based on documents that the people who founded that company got before that. And sort of it's the documentation is like mitochondrial DNA. It's something that goes back thousands of years in business history. And uh, there's probably a, a, an eve somewhere. Also, pay attention to the mistakes that you make, uh, uh, that, your, that your company makes. How did your company get screwed by your clients? And how can you avoid that? Um, what kind of methodologies did they try that were that were just dumb or, or, or didn't work and, and uh, just made people hate each other. Who is an asshole? Who, is, who are the douchebags in your company? And how can you try to not be like them? Like, seriously make a note of that. Because like, when you're managing other people, uh, you're going to be that asshole. And um, you have to really be careful about that. What makes a bad boss? What makes a bad employee? Because you're going to be hiring people in the future. Um, that, that's another point, actually. Try to get yourself in a position where you're interviewing people if you're not already doing that. Um, because... Uh, it's, it's a technique that if you don't have, when you, once you jump ship and start your own company, uh, all these things, whatever you didn't learn in your company is the stuff you're going to have trouble with when you start the company. And that's, I know that the things that we did not learn are the things that we screwed up with later on. So get as much as you can while you're there. And then, and then of course, we formed a team. Um, there were five of us, and that's a coincidence that we had a, a four uh, men, one pseudo man and, and a woman. And uh, we... Um, our big decision was, was first to try to, uh, um, uh, should we, to, to try to decide if we could start as a collective or actually form a, a corporate entity. Um, and in fact, actually, we had about seven or eight different people who were kind of hovering around joining the company at the beginning. Um, uh, we had a business developer. We had a couple of programmers. Uh, we weren't quite sure what was going to happen. We kind of shook that out pretty quickly, got to five, and then we decided, you know, we're really going to need to incorporate to do this because we had potential clients lined up who really were not going to hire five, you know, autonomous collective of hippie freelancers working together. <laughs> they needed a company, like an incorporated company with insurance and, and, and all of those kind of things. So um, we, we, we had to do it. And so uh, we founded a company. We formed Voltron. Um, but we actually we couldn't name ourselves Voltron. And so obviously the naming debate became really big. We probably spent two months debating the name of the company. It's such a huge thing. Uh, we came up with behavior uh, a thousand hours later. It felt really perfect um, because it was about how machines behave, about how people behave, and trying to diagram the area in the middle. And that's what we were going to do. And uh, it turns out, actually, I just want to go on a little side trip here, that eight years later, uh, Rob Fabricant at Interaction 09 is talking about how behavior is what interaction design is all about. So I think we might have been onto something. Um, so the pros and cons of this, I think forming a team is, is there are definitely advantages and disadvantages. Uh, first of all, you know, um, we have complementary skills. 
Uh, I didn't know how to do uh, HTML or CSS, so it's great to have someone who can do that. Um, I was terrible at visual design at, at the time. I think I've learned a few things since then, but um, uh, you know, I needed the team to put it together. Not, but not just our skills in, in UX, but also business skills. We had people who are good at accounting, people who are good at cheerleading a team, people who are good at, at, at sales, uh, putting together sales materials. Uh, we all had different skills, so when we go together as a team, uh, we bring all the best pieces of that. We have diverse experiences that infor inform that. Um, one of my partners, his father was uh, a, a retired accountant, so he was our first accountant. Very convenient. Um, we also share our decision making, which is really cool because uh, it's kind of like being on a jury. Uh, you don't, you're not necessarily sure if everybody knows the right decision. I don't know what the right decision should be, say yes or no to this client, but when five people or four people are making a decision together, you kind of the, 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 the collective intelligence comes out. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, over time we were able to specialize in, uh, in, in the new things that the business required us to do. So at some point we actually allowed, or one of my partners graciously volunteered to be the guy who uh, directly liaisoned with the accountant, um, with our new accountant after we went away from uh, partner father. And, uh, and that was really great because I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to deal with the accounting um, on a day-to-day -day basis, and uh, you know we get reports from that. But I didn't, you know, I didn't want to deal with that. And uh, and likewise, other partners didn't want to deal with the servers and the network and stuff. And so I did that, um, and and that worked out pretty pretty well. Uh, the cons, though, um, it's really hard to focus your product offering with a lot of people. It's really hard to decide what you're going to be. Uh, we were uh, sort of all over the place with that. Um, and still are kind of like drawn in different directions. We want to do technology. No, we don't want to do technology. We want to do strategy. Um, there's also group think, which is kind of the opposite of that, where uh, three people say yes to something, and the fourth one says, yeah, I guess so. We'll do that. And maybe it's the wrong decision. Maybe we needed to debate. Uh, people get pigeonholed in what they're doing. The guy who took on the accounting job, he didn't want it. <laughs> After like, two years of that, he didn't want to do that anymore. He wanted to be doing design more. Um, and obviously, we're slow to make decisions. And of course, you know, you think in a big company has all these politics to deal with. There's politics even when you have a couple partners, like just among three, four people. In fact, actually, it's really interesting to think of a, forming a team as getting married. Well, in my case, it was marrying five people. Um, it's kind of weird, uh, but it's got all the same ingredients. You have to trust your, you have to trust each other. You know, we were very fortunate that we knew each other for years before that. But other partnerships begin with um, uh, successful partnerships begin with people dating first. They do projects together. Uh, before they actually incorporate as a business. Um, you know, uh, just like with a spouse, you, know, you fight, you have to give up sometimes, even if you're right. Um, uh, you get financially and, f f and your families become tied together. When someone's family's in trouble, uh, you all feel it. When someone's in financially in trouble, you all feel it. Um, like, or even like in an LLC, for example, you can't take out a loan as a company unless everybody is willing to do it because they're all financially on the hook for it. And then finally, like splitting up, divorce. You know, they, you know, in, it's not till death do you part in business. It's not a finite thing. Um, the company could fail, uh, you could die, or, um, or you break up. And breaking up is, is, is hard in business just as it is in a relationship. Uh, it's emotionally, financially, legally difficult. So it's, it's kind of a big deal. So when you get in a partnership, you have to be ready that there's going to be some kind of collapse at some point unless you last forever, which uh, unlike a marriage, um, well, like a lot of marriages. So anyway, um, just be prepared for that. Uh, and we lost one partner, and it was it was difficult, but it worked out. Um, but you know, it's it's sort of it's just the way it goes. So over over time, the milestones started to pile up. We incorporated, hired lawyers, accountants. Uh, you know, eventually signed contracts, got an office space after one year of working remotely. Uh, hired our first employees. Um, our second employee, our first employee was a um, programmer, and the second employee was a. Uh, uh, sort of general all-purpose assistant who ended up being our office manager and I cannot underestimate the value of having an office manager to handle all the loose ends that seem so complicated to us. Eventually, you know, so, and then we go through tough times. Economic slowdowns in 2003 and today, uh, terminating people, terminating clients, getting terminated by clients, getting legal disputes, disputes left and right, um, and, uh, and blah blah blah, things go on and on and on. And you wonder, how can we possibly learn all these things? How can, you know, when I started, I, I couldn't imagine that I would have to face all these challenges and challenges and actually, you know, get through them. And I'm not trying to scare you. In fact, it's it's actually kind of reassuring that um, 
when, just going back to a wedding, like when you get married and, and you have a big wedding ceremony, the caterers kind of handle a lot of that stuff for you. You don't actually have to set the tables and figure out like where the napkins go or anything. They actually handle a lot of that. And your accountants and lawyers and insurance brokers and stuff, they handle a lot of that stuff for you. Uh, just one piece of advice that uh, I collected advice from a lot of business owners at the summit. And one piece that was given uh, that I, I definitely agree with is uh, that if you're an independent consultant, or starting a business, or thinking about it, just do it. Get incorporate yourself as an independent person. Um, it's actually easy. Uh, Whitney's done it. I think I'm everyone here has done it as as, as LLCs, yeah. mm -hmm. and um, it's actually not that hard. Um, and so, just talk to someone who's done it, and they'll recommend and show you how to do it. Um, so, what does it take to run a business? What, well, there's basically you know several ingredients: there's sales and marketing, project management, company operations, and of course. You know, making stuff—the stuff that we all do normally—and um, I'm going to go. I'm going to hit on a couple of these quickly. So, uh, sales and marketing—that's the part that's probably most distasteful to us, just doing <laughs> salesmanship and marketing. But you—you you, you have to do it. It's like it's going to take up. They estimate 15% is like a good number to imagine in terms of the time. I don't know if your hours per week match up to that, but that's what, mm -hmm. when we started the business, we were told that in terms of money uh, expenditure in a big company. So we figured that's the time we're going to spend too. Um, and there's two aspects to that. There's Customers, picking who you're going to target, and the products, what you're going to sell. Um, we were fortunate when we started, again, because uh, we had clients already lined up. Two of them were rare medium clients that were no longer going to be serviced by a dying company. And the third one was a company that a, a, a colleague had joined uh, and was now hiring us. And then that kind of grew, and we eventually got more and more clients over time, over, over the years. I liked her timeline, so I copied you. And, um, <laughs> And, and you know we kind of grew, and I would say probably half of our clients either came from a referral or, or somebody that we had worked with in the past, and the other half uh, grew through actual uh, self-promotion or company promotion through um, um, sending out like cold calls or sending brochures to them or, or, or just real shameless self-promotion. We actually hired a business developer in our third year. Um, we experimented with a couple, but eventually we had settled on someone we really liked, and uh, she's been working with us uh, ever since. Um, and you really have to understand who your customers are. This is a famous ad from 50 years ago. It's the McGraw-Hill Man in the Chair ad. And, and it's this really stern man sort of confronting you as a, as a, as a business person. Um, you know, he doesn't know anything about you. Who, you. who are you? Who's your company? What, what are you selling? Um, what does your company stand for? What's your reputation? What's your record? What's, what's your, um, who are your customers? These, these are things that you can't assume that people know about you. So you have to actually tell people outright. So your sales materials start to put this stuff together. Um, you start, you, know, you start learning sales techniques. One of the best things that um, I've learned is, is to uh, move, make the shift from um, making deliverables, which we do as practitioners, to telling stories, telling stories about your business. Our story was uh, five senior managers at a, at a global consultancy stake out on their own and, uh, and, and start a new uh, boutique. Um, but you know, over time, you start writing stories about the, your, the accomplishments you've done. And you want to tell these stories because that's the best way to promote your business. Um, another thing is you're selling your abilities, not your ideas. You may have great ideas, but you don't, you don't, you're, you're selling your services to the client. Um, so they'll get your ideas once they hire you as, as a service. Um, and don't do spec work, because that's just free. That's, that's skipping all the way to the, 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 the end of that line. Um, my grandfather gave me two pieces of advice. He said, when I started the business, I called him up, and my grandfather started a, a business himself, and I said, what's the advice? He said, first of all, for negotiation, you really need to have great relationships with your clients. You have to keep clients forever. It makes negotiations easier. So that's his sort of Dale Carnegie thing. Um, the other thing he said was, he said, Chris, charge high prices, <laughs> um, which, which is great because, like, you know, it's it basically don't sell yourself short. It's a little thing that just nags you in the back of your mind. Of course, sometimes business gets tough. You're like, all right, the client said I have to reduce prices. I'll lower the price. But it's it's nice to have this kind of floor, charge high prices forcing everything back up again because like that's how you're going to go out of business if you cut yourself too short. Uh, and then finally just sort of the showmanship, showmanship of it. Like public speaking is no, really not that much different than uh, doing a pitch in front of a client. You're really trying to put on a show, um, you know, uh, step up your game, uh, dress up a little better. Well, I, was a, I was kind of a slob when I started the business, like kind of punk rock and I, I really stepped up my game to do this. So it's kind of you know, all you need is just, just add an old-fashioned, become Don Draper, which, <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and that's, that's the, that you, you really have to set this bar kind of high. You know, they always say, dress like one notch higher than the people you're meeting. Uh, I, it's, it really makes sense, because I've gone into meetings like kind of just a little bit 
uncomfortable just because I was intimidated by the way people were dressed around me. So. Silicon Valley, that's not hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when your clients wearing flip-flops, yeah. Yeah, you, uh, New, York's, New York's a very different scene. New York, you're, you're, you're going to get outdone by somebody. Um, so, like, what does it mean to manage? Uh, uh, you know, there's... When you, when you become a boss, you get, to, you get to have bigger projects when you have a team. Uh, you get to have more projects, more diverse projects, because different people can be working on different kinds of stuff. Um, it's great, as, as Whitney was pointing out, that like, uh, you can collaborate with each other, so you can actually get that cross-pollination building. It's like building a culture, in your, in, uh, as well as building um, a, a business. And uh, you, know, you have to learn project management. If you don't know, I mean, basically, every, every one of my partners had to learn how to use pro a Microsoft Project. That's what our clients use. That's what uh, we've learned how to use. Um, but if you can't learn project management, you're going to have to hire somebody who can, because that's, that's going to be huge. Um, you basically, and then there's, then there's outside of, pro, I don't want to spend too much time on project management, but there's running the company itself, um, moving from project management to like CEO company management. Um, you're co running a company, running the business itself can take 20%, 50%, sometimes like I've gone stretches where it takes up 100% of my time for weeks on end. I'm not doing any client work. Um, it's, uh, it just consumes your soul. And uh, if you're not ready for that, you're not ready to start a, a business um, of that size. Because what you're doing is you're keeping your eye on the money. The cash flow is, is everything. And if you're not constantly knowing what cash is coming in, what cash is going out, uh, you're going to lose control of your company. And you, you can be paying a lot of attention to, to wireframes and such, but um, you can't lose track of that. So yeah, everyone knows this chart of Napoleon's March, so Mao's going back. Um, as a manager, I look at it from Napoleon's point of view, and I'm thinking, boy, this is, this is like, a colossal failure, and this is the kind of fear of failure is what Whitney has as an independent. It's multiplied as a, as a, as a boss because uh, you've got a culture, a bunch of people, mouth to feed. Um, it's not the same as being a middle manager in a company because ultimately at middle management, um, you can blame the boss, they can blame the boss, uh, the owners of the company. Like you're, The buck stops with you. Uh, and when you lose a project, when you lose a pitch, you're losing it for everybody. So uh, it's, there's a lot at stake. It's a lot to kind of emotionally deal with. And I, I'll tell you that um, on a day when, some, when something really big is happening, like I've got a big pitch coming up, I'm really nervous about it, I'm, I'm scared, um, or I've got to have a difficult conversation with an employee or, or a client, um, I have to apologize to a client or something. At the end of those days, um, when I go home, having done it, I feel great. I mean, it feels great to have having, having gotten over that. Now you're, now you're more powerful, you're stronger, you're ready, you're prepared for when that happens again. So it's actually, there's a, there's a reward to that. Um, uh, you know, and you're constantly changing your plans. Um, you know, you're redefining your brand. Once or twice a year we have a meeting to get together to make sure that all four of us as partners are really on the same page. Do we want to uh, have our brand mean this or that? Do we want to be... 30 people or 100 people or 15 people or go back down to five people. We're, we're constantly talking about that and redefining it and it changes all the time. Uh, it's, it's a lie that, that companies have five-year plans that they actually execute on. They always change. Um, there's, Eisenhower said that um, plans are useless but planning is indispensable. It's, it's important to just do the plan and the, so when you change it, there's less to change. Um, and uh, uh, you know, what, what does change is your, your, your staffing models change. Your business models change, how much you're pricing, the methodologies you're using can change. You sort of realize that features and or, or services you're offering aren't working, and there's services that your competitors are selling that you should be selling. Um, you might want to try Agile if you're not already doing that. Um, you might want to start whole new services. Uh, you know, uh, Behavior actually tried technology services. We For two, and two or three years, we were selling end-to-end -end services, and we've actually kind of backed off that and focused on what we uh, really are good at, which is UX design. That was a hard decision to make. Um, it, it meant we lost people, and, and that was hard, but we realized that it wasn't meeting our strategy as partners. Um, and, uh, and as interesting, I learned yesterday from uh, um, Valesco O'Leary that decision actually means uh, to cut away. So it's interesting that just the word means to, 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 do, um, to do some damage. So it's, it's, it's hard to sometimes do that. So why am I doing this if it's so hard, right? So the rewards are power, Glory, <laughs> um, freedom, and thrills. And uh, you know, just the ability to actually cause things to happen, that's the power trip part of it. And really, if you're going to run a business, you have to be comfortable wielding power and, 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 and uh, you know, having power. Uh, glory is great. It's great when a client tells you you did a great job, when a site wins an award, and when you have a whole team working on something, 
you can claim like sort of credit for all of it. You know, it's, it's actually kind of cool. Like, you know, I look at my portfolio and my portfolio is, is the work of 15 people. Uh, uh, so it, it's pretty great. And, um, you know, the freedom is pretty self-explanatory, although, although we're still beholden to clients. So, uh, and I'm still beholden to the team as a boss. I need to be there at 9 a.m. Um, I, if I want to not be there at 9 or 10 or whatever, if I, if I want to just not show up someday, I can do that. But it sets a bad example. So there are limitations to what you can do as a boss. And, and then just finally the thrill. Nothing beats you know, when it all comes together. When you win a big job, when a site launches, and, and it's like everything like, happened because of, of the team you led and the efforts you put together um, and, and, and the people you work with that you brought together. Uh, it's awesome. And it's such a big thrill. To, to, and and I, I, don't, I love that. So if you're going to start a business, that's the, that's the reward of it. So uh, thank you very much. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxesandarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners.